Welcome to Not Your Father's Data Center Podcast, brought to you by Compass Data Centers. We build for what's next. Now here's your host, Raymond Hawkins. Welcome to another edition of Not Your Father's Data Center. Um, I am Raymond Hawkins, uh, Chief Revenue Officer at Compass Data Centers, your host. Today, we are recording still as the planet is um, dealing with a pandemic, vaccines rolling out, but still the world is different than it was this time last year. And today we are joined by Barclays, Head of Global Data Center Banking, Ertiaz Ahmad. And Ertiaz, I want to make sure I pronounce your name right. Ertiaz, welcome and thank you for joining us. Hey, Raymond, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show, uh, and you got that name spot on, so thanks for doing that. All right, I'm one for one. It's only downhill yeah. from here. <laughs> well done. Ertiaz, um, we're, we're super grateful to have you talk with us. We, we have lots of folks that come talk about the technology side of our business, whether it's networking or cooling or, or – um, you know, how we handled technology in the data hall. For us, we'd love today for you to help us understand how does all this stuff get paid for. But before we get into how does all of this get financed and funded, uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about you. So so with that open mic, love to hear where you're from, uh, how you got in the business, uh, where you went to school, uh, who your baseball and football teams are, who you'll be pulling for on Super Bowl Sunday. You've got a chance to be on record now for your Super Bowl pick. Uh, It'll be in the cans so we can know whether you're right or wrong. So so you have the mic. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, Raymond. Happy to do that. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I went to school at Georgetown down in D.C., so I'll maybe start off with that. So when you know, the stuff started to go, go down early in the, in the year, you know, a couple of my buddies, you know, just started shooting me texts, you know, with, with the view that, hey, look, we thought college was crazy. This is just a whole nother craziness, you know. Here, here. Uh, you know, and we're, <laughs> um, you know, my personal background is that I've spent about 15 years focused on the broader digital infrastructure industry, uh, both as a uh, advisor uh, as well as an investor, uh, but also uh, as an operator. Uh, and, and, and I have some funny stories there to share. Uh, I started off at Bear Stearns right before the financial crisis in their tech media telecom group, uh, summer of 2007, and then on to Citigroup for a couple of years. And I was at a firm called Waller Capital. Hold on, uh, hold on, hold on. You started at Bear Stern the summer of 07? I did, I did. That's some auspicious timing. I know, exactly. You know, wow. I, I have a funny story for you. You know, there was a, there was a corporate event at Bear Stearns that they had, uh, you know, one of those summer, summer, summer kind of holiday parties, you know, where... It was a firm mandate for everybody to take a black car home individually, uh, you know, from, from a boat cruise. Yeah, and liabilities perspective. Cruise, yeah, it was just, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, the full nine yards. Yeah, you know, it's just incredible. <laughs> so it was a bit of a fall from glory. You know, to, to say things have changed quickly in Bear Stearns' fortunes. Um, so and I, I'm not going to remember the exact timing, but 08, 09, that business disappears, right? I mean, how, how long did that run? If you got there in summer of 07, you weren't 24 months from the business disappearing, were you? Well, you know, I, I was gone. I, I was just there for the summer. And, you know, the business disappeared in March of 2008. So. Yeah, that's what uh, I thought. You know, okay, by the yeah. Time it came back around, you know, I, you know, I was already, you know, lining myself up, you know, because the the semblance of normalcy started to, you know, break down. I'd say, 
even that summer, towards the tail end of that summer, you could hear some of the uh, the, the alarm bells start to go off. You know, uh, fascinating. So I, yeah, so I ended up. So, so summer interns in 07 had to take black cars home to nine <laughs> months later, the business is gone. Wow. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's a whole lot of world, right? You know, you come yeah. back around for air and, you know, there's no there's no caviar waiting at the end of your, uh, you know, your, your, your night. <laughs> wow. Okay, so Bear Stearns in 07. Uh, that, sorry, I'm, I'm slowing you down a little. Where next? No, no. no uh, you know, it, it, Bear Stearns has a lot of fun stories, I'll tell you that. Um, you know, I, I moved out to Citigroup in the New York office, uh, you know, and in, in vogue of the times, you know, 2008, 9, 10, 11, you know, spent a lot of my time uh, essentially cleaning up some of the mess that have been created over the past few years before then, you know, some of the large take privates, very large acquisitions that had run into trouble, you know, the, the likes of Clear Channel and Charter uh, you know, iHeart, uh, you can talk about radio, you know, uh, you know, cleaning up the messes of that and, and helping, you know, restructure those businesses, you know, uh, clean up the balance sheet, start, you know, thinking about what's next for them in terms of creating value for those assets, you know, and I was there for about three years, you know, it, it, it was a lot of, uh, you know, it was a lot of cleanup work and I think I had my fill with it, which is why, uh, I wanted to do something a little bit different after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you can only spend so much time doing cleaning up, you know, restructuring type work. Yeah, understood. Yeah. All right. So you you spend three years restructuring and clean up uh, at City, and then next stop is where? You know, next stop was to a firm called Waller Capital Parkers, again in New York, uh, you know, uh, merchant bank focused in the uh, digital infrastructure industry. You know, it's funny, you use the words digital infrastructure, communications infrastructure, IT infrastructure. Back back then, you know, a decade plus ago, we you know, we used to not use those terms as much, you know, and it was more, you know, it, it was a cable focus, broadband focus, you know, but we started to see, you know, right then and there, some of the green shoots of, you know, fiber. You know, I remember selling a bunch of businesses to Zayo when I was there. Uh, you know, a couple of these fiber to home plays, you know, worked on a data center thing here and there, you know, it started to pique my interest, you know, I, growing up, you know, I'd always been interested in the internet, you know, I was one of those kids that was on these bulletin boards and Usenets and basically an all round, you know, totally uh, cool kid in high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely the kids that were on the bulletin boards in high school, everyone yeah, wanted to hang exactly. out with. Yeah, I, I know the group. I got you. Exactly, exactly. So, so I was there for uh, about four years, you know, had a lovely time, you know, did a tremendous amount of activity. This is right after the recession. So uh, the pickup in volume was pretty, uh, uh, pretty uh, spectacular. And, and a lot of this was, you know, growth oriented. It wasn't so much of that cleaning up the, the, the dark messes of the yonder years. This is more, you know, uh, how do we think about onwards and upwards? So that was a lot of fun. And, you know, the funny story I said, you know, about being an operator, you know, you know, part of my time there for about, I don't know, like six to nine months, you know, uh, I sent, I spent basically on a comment to a, a rural, uh, you know, broadband company in Minnesota in the winter months of, uh, you know, 2013, you know, Oh man. Yeah, uh, exactly. Minnesota, Minnesota's lovely in January and February. I no, mean, I, highs you know, in the negative digits, you know, 
funny story. I, uh, you know, I, 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 this is like northern Minnesota as well. So I get off, you know, it's a long several hour drive, you know, to the company, you know, get off, get a rental car and, and, and silly me, you know, you know, never driven on ice before. So thinking the best thing I could do is get a, as big of a car. You know, I, I basically asked for the biggest car I can get. They ended up giving me an Audi A8. I, I don't know why. It's not like I paid anything extra. They did. And this thing is like a tank. It's so long. And if you've ever driven on snow, this thing is basically like skateboarding in snow. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. you know, snow and ice, you know, it, it, you know, my first trip out was a uh, harrowing experience. It was terrifying. But I made it. <laughs> Richie, as I, I got to tell you, so, so um, I worked for a company in Minneapolis for eight years, and that wow. was their headquarters. And and we would go every year in January and have our sales kickoff in Minneapolis in January. And for eight years, the high out of all eight years was minus one, was the warmest temperature it got. It's just uh, hardy people live in Minnesota. I'll just say it that way. Yeah, you know, in, 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 in your first time there and you talk to the team and the team says, what are you doing without gloves? You're going to lose all circulation <laughs> in your fingers in like the next two minutes, you know, and they're like counting down. They're like, you need to get inside now. Like, you will yeah. not have fingers. I got another good Minnesota story. So so I fly. I, I mean, I live in Atlanta. I fly up uh, for my last interview with the organization. I fly up there at the end of April. Well, in the end of April in Atlanta, it's been warm for two months. And I land in a um, shorts and a golf shirt uh, to head to my hotel to get dressed for the interview, and it's snowing outside, uh, uh, which I just couldn't comprehend snow in April. So that's one of my aha Minnesota moments. Mm. And, then, and then my other one is just like you described, getting in and go, driving north. One of our kickoffs, they decided to do a team-building exercise. We went ice fishing. And, you know, m my exposure to ice fishing was, you know, the, the um, grumpy old men, the movie, and thinking, oh, that's cute and it looks fun. Um, so, so we pull up to this little shack on the side of a lake and you check in like you're almost like you're checking in for a motel and it's like minus nine outside Ortiz and the guy comes up and he's like, you know, counting everybody in the car and make sure everybody paid. And he goes, okay. He goes, Hey, I need y'all to roll all the windows down and then follow our guide car out to your shack on the ice. And I, of course, the guy from Atlanta said, Hey, why are we rolling the windows down? It's minus nine outside. And he said, well, in case the vehicle goes through the ice, we don't want the windows to short so you can't swim back to the surface. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> and I said, you know, if there's a 1% chance we're going through the ice, I think I'm going to stay right here for the night. I don't need to go on out to the ice fishing hut. I don't blame uh, you. Yeah, unbelievable stuff. All right. That's our Minnesota sidetrack. Sorry, everybody. But uh, you know, it's, cold uh, is the message. People, though. Really warm yeah. people. Really warm people. Very cold. Very wow. cold. So, so you help operate uh, a business in Minnesota. Uh, was it fiber to the home? What were you guys doing out there? It was a fiber to the home. It, it was a small, yeah. you know, I wouldn't call it a startup, but you know, they gotten some subsidies. And what I was basically helping them was to organize their financials. You know, think about what the strategy should be going forward, um, and basically think about bringing in new investors to kind of grow the business. You know, and this was this was like ten years ago at this point, and you know, close to it. And, and, and we started to see the need for the digital infrastructure, the connectivity into people's homes that's truly, uh, you know, uh, uh, based on fiber instead of some mixture between coax or, or the old DSL lines, because the 
the traffic patterns right around that time were starting to pick up. You know, this is when all, a lot of the apps, you know, started to really come out, you know, uh, 2010, 11, 12, a lot of these, you know, uh, uh, newer digital content platforms starting to kick up, you know, streaming becoming more of a, uh, a commonplace thing that people were doing. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it was just a really interesting time to be there, you know, kind of leading the charge. It's a much bigger company now. So is it still an ongoing concern today? Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's more, uh, today about how do you grow the business? You know, how, how do you expand, you know, it's, uh, it's cleaned up and it's ready to go and, you know, develop itself, you know, have to be a much larger uh, player, you know, in the region at this point. Um, so, uh, all, you know, all hunky dory there. All right. So after you help the operator in Minnesota, what, what's, what's next up for you? You know, uh, next up was, you know, coming back to New York and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, warming myself up, you know, losing the ice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, here, here. That much warmer. But, uh, yeah, I ended up joining Barclays around that time, you know, around 2014. Uh, uh, again, focused, you know, primarily on the digital infrastructure space uh, and digital infrastructure encompassing everything from, uh, data centers, cloud, um, you know, fiber, towers, small cells, DAS, uh, you know, uh, we didn't we didn't really know or, you know, uh, think about the word at that time. But, you know, these days it, it, it encompasses the, the word edge as well. And frankly, that's a really key part of it all. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's my focus. You know, and I lead basically our coverage of data centers, cloud, and edge infrastructure uh, banking across uh, uh, North America, uh, you know, Europe, uh, uh, you know, Asia-Pac, and Africa, you know, it, we've got a pretty global coverage footprint, uh, you know, around the world, and just the nature of, of what I cover is just so global, uh, you know, I find myself, particularly in uh, in the world that we live in with Zoom and WebEx and, and all the other platforms where, you know, it's very easy to lose track of your time, uh, you know, basically on these uh, platforms at, at all hours of the day. <laughs> here, here. Uh, so, so that's me. All right. Well, we appreciate the intro. That is super good to hear a little bit. So I just want to wrap that up. So, so it sounds like you would consider New York home. Is that uh, home base? You've been there a while now. Th that's right. You know, um, you know, I, I moved outside of the core city, outside of Manhattan. Uh, a couple of years ago, I live in uh, Brooklyn, which, uh, which is sometimes I walk around pre-COVID and I feel like this is too cool, you know, for, for a guy like <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't quite have the, 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 the you know, the, uh, uh, the, the carpenters, you know, get up and like the, the, the very cool facial hair that a lot of the kids walk around here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. Brooklyn's a hit place. I, I can only visit. Uh, they, they wouldn't yeah. let me hang out there. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. that way sometimes too. Well, you you, ra you raise an issue that, if you don't mind, I'd like to dig into just a little bit. You, you talked about you said, "Hey, Raymond, we didn't use back in your you know Waller days. We didn't use terms like digital infrastructure that we use today." And you you talked about right. It was a lot about cabling and broadband and and the, and those kinds of things. And and I think you, you raise a great point when we uh, that raises a larger issue anyway. Is that how we got here? How we got to the world um, in a global pandemic, being able to stay connected, communicate, and effectively uh, conduct business. Um, we didn't get here 
overnight and we didn't get here by accident. And that infrastructure kind of going all the way back to the late 80s and early 90s that started getting laid for how we connect um, people's homes and people's businesses and connect the network. I mean, that, that's been going on for a while. And, and in your um, fiber of the home business and, and your early days, that was all the foundation for what we do today. Is that, isn't that is that an accurate description, Ortiz? Or how, how do you feel about all of that, how it all came together? Well, Raymond, I think you actually, uh, you know, uh, you might be a couple of decades off, you know, but I think you're spot on. You know, I think I, I would actually argue that, um, you know, you can actually trace it back to even the the telecom routes, uh, you know, uh, that started, you know. Yeah, really, I think you're right. The early 1900s, right? You know, if yeah, I, yeah, here, here. I think, think back to like, you know, some of the. Uh, you know, transatlantic routes, you know, back, you know, when... Yeah, the first the first subsea cable. Yeah, you're absolutely exactly, right. That's right. Exactly, that's the foundation. Exactly. Yeah. That's the foundation. Yeah. And it followed right through. I mean, you go to a, you know, a, a telecom hub like 60 Hudson in New York or 111 you know, uh, or any of those sites around the U.S. and around the world that are truly like these epicenters of where the telecom providers start to interconnect. You know, that was then replicated, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago by the fiber providers, right? And then, you know, more recently over the last 10 to 15 years, you start to see those buildings or, or those physical hubs where these cable providers uh, and fiber providers all start to intersect, you know, essentially be the, you know, the early uh, 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 formation of interconnection data centers, right? Um, you know, uh, as, as basically people started to say, hey, look, if you're connecting wires here, maybe why don't I store my data here? You know, that's probably going to be the best place for me to, you know, send that, you know, left and right, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. And, 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 and kind of moving that traffic around. Right. I mean, look, I, I mean, a lot of these things, you know, just kind of evolved organically. Right. And this is pretty cloud, really. You know, this is yeah, this here, is here. Wow. Yeah, it's pre AWS. Yeah, I do think um, when people think about what, uh, you know, like like you just flat out said, hey, we didn't use the word digital infrastructure just a decade ago, right? Yeah. Um, we were talking about, you know, cable and broadband and, and, and I mean, we were talking about wireless, but it, even then it was in a, it was a much simpler solution and, and much less uh, capable solution 11 years ago, 12 years ago. Um, to me, just fascinating how um, I heard somebody say, back in the summer that we've seen three years of digital transformation in three months and, and how the pandemic has just accelerated so many businesses going, hey, I don't necessarily have to walk in a building and see all the people in my office to, to transact business. We can do this virtually and how that infrastructure um, to support that has been being built for decades. And to your point, I mean, literally all the way back to if we go to the very first telecom connection to a hundred years. But mm -hmm. I, the other, I guess, how, how, how this ties back to Barclays and, and, and what we'd like to talk about is that doesn't happen on its own, right? That, that infrastructure investment, that capital comes from somewhere. And, and how does Barclays look at that? How does it analyze it? How does it choose what businesses to be in? I think that's the, the fascinating part that most of us in the data center business, we look at, you talked about 60 Hudson or, um, you know, those kinds of assets that are, you know, uh, CIRMAC that's, you know, legendary sort of building, but someone had to buy it. Someone had to provide the capital. Someone had to provide the capital to develop it. How does that part of the business uh, decide? We, we talk about 
you know, interconnection and megawatts and absorption and leasing rates and, you know, Northern Virginia and the flap in Europe. We talk about all those things, but I don't think there's much conversation around how does this all get funded? How does this all get financed? And we'd love your insight and expertise to share. How does the, how do the capital markets look at our business? Uh, how is it transformed in the 10 or 11 years you've been in it? And, and how do you see it changing moving forward? Yeah, I know it's an excellent question, Raymond. Um, you know, I think we need to go back a little bit in time to think about, you know, how it all kind of started, right? So, you know, data centers in particular, right, in, into what they are today, didn't really quite start off, you know, uh, you know, from, from, you know, uh, you know, this technology-oriented infrastructure, you know, as we kind of just already talked about. They started off, you know, back as a service, as a hosting service, essentially, late 90s, you know, uh, you know, for people who basically host a little bit of the, maybe their websites, uh, you know, uh, in an outsourced uh, environment, right? I mean, that that's really what the outsourced data center world looked like. I'm thinking back to the days of Exodus and, you know, uh, 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 you know, the post, you know, Exodus, some of the other more hosting type environments, right? Right. You know, those were, those were at that time looked in as more technology or technology services assets, not so much as, you know, these hardy, hard asset data centers or infrastructure categories, right? You had a couple of these assets start to then, you know, take a little bit of a different flavor, you know, the likes of digital realty kind of spawning out, you know, uh, around the world. I think about, you know, a cloud of ours, global switch, you know, starting to form, um, you know, and, and, and those taking on more of a real estate vein. Um, and, and then you had, you know, uh, Equinix starting off more of its, you know, connectivity-centric thesis around, hey, you know, I want to be in these core interconnection hubs and, and build a thesis around ecosystems and, uh, and, and connected data. So to answer your question, you really have to look back in time as to how they were all funded back then, right? Roughly speaking, I'll say there are a couple of categories, you know, about 10, 15 years ago. You, you basically looked at them as technology or you looked at them as, as real estate. And, and those are the two lens from an investor's perspective that, that people came into it. There's a third bucket that people looked at, which was communications, um, you know, and, and, and that was more the likes of Equinix uh, and some of the other more connectivity-oriented plays around the world. It hadn't quite all converged. You know, a couple of forces happened that, that led to that convergence. You know, around, I'd say, 10 years ago when, when AWS and the cloud started to really uh, come up, you know, you, you, you had essentially an acceleration of the need to outsource, right? Enterprises, which typically have had their data centers in-house, started to figure out, well, you know, maybe, maybe the cloud's not so bad. You know, maybe I need to think about moving some of my data out there, and, and, or, or maybe it's to a colo outsource colo environment. And, and as that evolved, you, you had an environment where um, new providers started to come up. You know, these, these smaller platforms that were experiencing a tremendous amount of growth from both from enterprises, small, medium-sized businesses across the U.S. globally. Um, and that led to a lot of private equity funds thinking, hey, look, you know, data centers, nice asset class, growing really nicely. You know, they've got three to five-year type contracts. You know, still kind of a, a hodgepodge between folks looking at it from a, you know, a, a, a technology, communications, or real estate type of 
you know, investor mindset, you know, but playing into that thesis from a traditional private equity investor. It started to evolve a little bit further about five years ago. Uh, and I think that's that's when the current iteration of at least equity investors, equity capital sits today, which is about five years ago. Uh, and I remember, you know, uh, very clearly working with some of the infrastructure funds that were starting to evaluate this space around that time. You know, there was a view that maybe this is not just tech, maybe it's just not calm, maybe it's not just real estate. Maybe it's like all three of those things, plus a fourth category, infrastructure, right? We talked a little bit earlier, you know, dozens of years, 100 years even. You know, it, it, it takes a long time for some of these things to, to build and curate. And, and really today, you know, if you think about, you know, uh, what, what has really kept us going over the past, you know, 12 months so at this point almost, it's really, the, it's not the highway, it's not the ports, right? It, it's the fact that we've got these fiber gateways connecting us all that allows us to talk, do business, you know, see our family and friends. Um, and, and, and really that infrastructure investor mindset started to take hold around the 2016 type of time frame. And, you know, that led over the course of the last four years to a tremendous uptick in activity and an inflow of equity capital to back uh, expansions across, uh, you know, multiple asset categories within the data center universe, you know, and all the way from, you know, hey, here's a single tenant, triple net, you know, more real estate, hard asset real estate type data center to, hey, you know, more of a, 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 a hybrid managed hosting, managed services, uh, you know, a cold, retail co-location type uh, data center, and then and then finally to um, the likes of more of a a, a pure you know hyperscale. All, I'm gonna do you know uh, a 15 year type lease you know to basically house an Amazon data center, and you know once I once you park your you know assets here, you know I'm, I'm gonna walk away essentially on a, 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 a very light touch operational basis. So all these different categories of models led to a, a proliferation of equity capital from infrastructure funds, pension funds, sovereign wealth funds. You know, we raised, um, you know, uh, half a billion dollars a couple of years ago from Mubadala, which is a, a sovereign wealth fund based out of Abu Dhabi for a business here in the U.S. called Stone, uh, called Cologics owned by Stonepeak. Um, and I think it's very indicative of, of the type of capital that's now currently in the space. Um, and you really have a diversity of equity investors today that you didn't have in the past. And I think it's, it's, it's appropriate. I think it allows multiple types of business models to operate efficiently. I think you've got the traditional uh, uh, private equity guys who are a little less involved, but you know they're looking at international opportunities. You've got the infrastructure funds who are looking at a lot of the uh, um, you know, uh, the, the hard asset, longer term contracts. And then finally, you've got some of the, the pensions and the sovereign wealth funds, you know, who are looking for, you know, more passive, you know, uh, steady state, you know, uh, uh, risk adjusted type of uh, business profile. So that's that's that on the equity side. On the debt side, there's been a lot of evolution as well. You know, it used to be primarily, you know, smaller operators or even for the large publics, you know, in the form of, hey, you know, you've got one or two of these investment grade data centers, digital realty and global, which were the two big ones uh, and still are. Uh, but you've got a couple more now. 
um, you know, primarily funded with syndicated debt. So banks like ourselves, you know, would go out and raise capital, uh, you know, from from institutional investors, the likes of Fidelity and BlackRock and others. You know, we put some on our own balance sheet and, and lend that out. Um, it's evolved a little bit in the last few years to a new category of funding for, you know, particularly the, the hard asset, longer term tenor uh, contract uh, data centers. Uh, you know, which is which is the advent of securitizations. Securitizations used to be a play uh, more so in the tower space 10, 15 years ago. But over the last three, four years, you know, we've been able to manifest that more into the data center space. And what that's really allowed is to allow an incredibly uh, robust leverage profile with a very, very uh, attractive, you know, uh, low single digit cost of capital. Um, investment grade rating, which which gives a lot of fuel, you know, to the operators that are able to put that structure in to go expand, um, you know, uh, broadly as well as, uh, you know, be able to be competitive with their lease pricing, and then ultimately drive home returns that are appealing to the shareholders. So long-winded answer, uh, but the industry's gone through, you know, quite a few pieces of evolution here to get to where we are. So hopefully, I don't know if, if that answered your question. That's, or not. No, that was super good. I'm gonna I'm gonna add a, a few more sort of clarifying, but th- that was excellent. Love love getting both the equity and and the debt side, and and also the historical perspective. Ertiaz, I think you said something um, there at the very beginning that I think is is. Um, super important. We, as a, as a global community, have managed to stay connected, not because of the traditional infrastructure plays. I think it is highlighted that technology is indeed infrastructure, right? I mean, because to your point, we're not getting on boats, we're not getting in, on trains, we're not flying anywhere, uh, we're, we're doing very little driving on the highway. So all the traditional, or not all, but many of the traditional infrastructure assets, airports, you know, seaports and and those kinds of things are um, limited in activity, certainly from moving people back and forth. And so we stayed connected through the infrastructure um, of the 21st century, this, this digital infrastructure, this technology infrastructure. And, uh, and I think that that's um, feeds into, Hey, now as infrastructure funds think about investing, that this just galvanizes the notion that yes, digital infrastructure is Global infrastructure. It is. It serves as important, if not more important, a, a um, connecting, you know, function to mankind that a port or a railway or a highway would serve. I, th- I think that you know the way you describe it has crystallized that for me. It's, it, we are in the infrastructure business, and it has allowed us to stay connected the last year. No, that's absolutely right. And, and look, you know, we talked a little bit uh, about the private investors, right, with debt and equity. But what's worth noting as well is that on the public side, right, you know, it's it's very clear the public investor appreciates the logic of what you just said, Raymond, which is that, look, you know, yes, the cloud is, is very attractive. Yes, you know, there's a lot of um, you know, incredibly uh, high growth, you know, software type plays that have experienced, you know, large run up in their share prices last year through the COVID crisis. People realize, well, look, you know, what do you need to stay connected? You need Zoom. What do you need to work out? You need Peloton, you know. Uh, but you need to house the uh, the gears that function, that, that make all these things fuel, right? 
you know, in, in like a physical box somewhere. You still need to house it somewhere. And, yeah, and that yeah. obviously had a big impact on the, the data center stocks, you know, over the course of 2020. And I'd say, you know, before, I'd say, you know, in the last few years, there's it, there's been a growing appreciation amongst the public investor base um, as to the value of data centers. But, you know, given a lot of these were more REIT oriented, it was more from a, hey, look, I'm an investor that invests into, um, you know, into multi-family homes, into hospital real estate, into shopping malls. And hey, guess what? Data centers are a little bit higher growth than all of this. Uh, so this is how I'd allocate it. That, that, was, that was kind of the um, the overarching thesis, you know. It's, yeah, so, sort of I'm, I'm already a real estate investor and this is another part of my real estate portfolio. More, more that than yeah. I want to be in the digital infrastructure business. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Absolutely. That's exactly right, Raymond. That's exactly right. And, and that started to change a little bit with, you know, more mainstream appreciation of data centers, uh, you know, over the last, you know, I'd say 12 to, I think it started a little bit before uh, you know, COVID, you know, to be honest, but I think during COVID, it really caught on, you know, and, and one of the, you know, one of the easy ways to kind of see that is, you know, uh, there's been a lot more, you know, ETFs that have been created to track the data center space. Uh, you know, just generally speaking, you know, it's not just the institutional investors that you see, uh, you know, talking about it, you know, in the public realm, you know, when we, when we see press reports about, you know, data centers now, you know, it, it, it's also coming a little bit more mainstream now to, uh, you know, uh, to folks who understand, well, look, you know, data centers are, you know, are, are key asset class, you know, as I think about, well, I want to invest in like, you know, uh, high growth software, you know, high growth cloud, gaming, you know, and, and, and data centers. Well, the next one, which is, you know, just starting to pick up, you know, and I mentioned it earlier, is around the edge. You know, uh, that that's the new kind of buzzy word that's starting to get some mainstream traction now. Yeah, it's interesting, Urtiz. I get occasionally asked, you know, what, what we do by friends that aren't in this business and try to explain the business. And, and at the end of the day, I, I, you, you touched on earlier, we're just in the warehouse business, but we warehouse ones and zeros. I mean, there are warehouses that carry you know food and cars and other goods. We're in the warehouse business. But we just warehouse data, and and I'm grateful that I'm in an industry that um, my the, the goods that we store are doubling every year, yeah. um, and and that that's an exciting place to be, and I think that um, it's only accelerating. Um, digitization only continues to expand, and, and getting to be in a business that um, has to provide a home for that is is a great place to be. I, I think it's as about a pure um, bullish play as you can get on. Are you bullish on digital transformation? Are you bullish on technology continuing to grow? Which I am, and and you know you're starting down another path with the edge, right? I mean, clearly the edge as five G becomes a real thing, and and the amount of bandwidth that we can get out into an individual's hand, it's going to change what we do there. Right, and and we're going to have to move where compute goes. Right, we've thirty years in the compute business. We've moved compute around. Right, we've we've consolidated compute. You talked about service bureaus and 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 you know uh, people that you got services from two or three decades ago, and then we distribute the compute out to individual enterprises, and then we pull it back in, and then we push it back out. I think the edge is another transformation of distributing compute out to where that bandwidth and that demand and that user is going to be 
And it's going to transform the infrastructure business, but transform it only in the number of locations of warehouses. Um, they're, 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 the data proliferation is going to continue. Um, That's right, Randy. That's right. And I think I think it's going to be really interesting over the next few years as we start to figure out what what is the edge. You know, what does it mean? Just just similar to how about a decade ago, you know, we had that discovery process with the cloud, right? It's what is the cloud? How does the cloud work? And then perhaps the most important thing, what can we do with the cloud, right? And it's similar to how we saw, you know, uh, you know, you know, kids in their parents' basements, you know, or, or, you know, in their dorms, you know, creating apps that leverage the benefits of the cloud, right? Springing up about a decade ago, it's going to be really interesting and it'll probably mimic somewhat of that same kind of app development curve, you know, uh, in terms of how the use cases for the edge start to emerge in the next few years as, as, as we kind of go down the road of 5G becoming more mainstream and having some of the platforms ready to go to support those applications. Yeah, I for one, Ortiz, I'm excited to see things that neither you or I can think about today that are going to be a thing. You know, you know, when, when my children who are in their 20s ask me, Dad, you know, when they were middle-aged uh, adolescents, they would say, Dad, at what age can I have a cell phone? And, and they're asked was that dad what age did you get a cell phone and i told him oh i got a cell phone at 21 and they're like oh my your parents must have been horrible and i'm like no sweetheart that's when cell phones actually became you know available to the public uh, dad was already in his 20s uh, they can't even imagine a world where there wasn't cell phones and i think that the things they're going to see and the things that they're going to their um <clears throat> you know tiktok i mean let's go back seven or eight years ago did anybody think that there'd be an app where we watched eight second or ten second videos of each other just take over the world from an uh, uh, entertainment perspective. I mean, YouTube. I mean, there's so many applications that, you know, I'm laughing about not getting a cell phone to my 20s. I think there's going to be things done that are going to change the technology experience and change uh, what we do and change how we view technology and, and, and where we consume technology that we can't even think of today powered by this distribution of compute power. Uh, no, in the edge, what on. you're talking about. It's yeah. on. And, and you, know, um, you know, I like to think of data centers, you know, use the word warehouses. I like to think of data centers as essentially data factories. You know, they're, the, they're, they're the factories of, uh, you know, of, of our current world, right? And, and Here, the plant and equipment of the data center, of the data world, data infrastructure world. That's a great way. That's better than yeah. warehouse. That's better. Yeah. Well, I just don't. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you know, in, in my mind, because you're not just warehousing the data, you're also processing it, right? Yeah. And then, yeah. and then shipping out the goods, right? So, Ortiz, there's nothing better than having your mind changed. I've used the warehouse analogy for several years, and you're the first person that said, Raymond, it's not warehouse. It's really manufacturing, and that's better. I think plant and equipment or manufacturing, because you're right. Stuff gets processed. Stuff gets changed. Stuff gets modified. We're not just a passive. The the, the, in, the digital infrastructure business, the data center business, it isn't. That, that's a better way to think about it. I like that. So I like, uh, I like having my mind changed. Good stuff. Yeah. Takes guys yeah. from Georgetown to do that. <laughs> guys with economics degrees. I can only read books about economics. I can't get my arms around it. You know, I, I think it's probably the uh, 10,000 hours of uh, Zoom calls that we've had over the past 12 months. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't know if I can even lay credit to it. it. It may have been somebody who I was speaking with, you know, out of, you know, uh, somewhere around the world. Who knows? Like, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the coin and it just stuck in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's good. I, I like it. I like the, the whole... Um, 
factory or, or plant and equipment park. That's really good. Ortiz, really grateful to have you join us. Uh, I, I appreciate you spending a little time with us. I will tell you, once the listeners get to know people, I'd love to have people come back. I can think of two other subjects that we could have entirely different calls on. Um, if, if you're willing to entertain joining us in the future, um, I would love for you to talk about SPACs. They get a lot of uh, <laughs> publicity today, whatever Barclays is willing to let you talk about. Uh, I think for me personally, that would be a fascinating subject, how we how we wind it back into the data center business. I'm not sure. And then I would definitely, with a, with, with a friend of mine having a degree in economics, I'd love to have the Keynesian versus the Austrian economics conversation. And we could do a series of podcasts on that. So things to think about for future dates with us, if, if you're willing to join us again. More than happy to bring them in. And thanks for having me on. You know, to be honest, I thought you were going to ask me about SPACs. Uh, on this particular one, so I, I did uh, I did prep a little bit for that one, but uh, you know we can save it for the next session. There you have it. Uh, I think in the business they call those teasers. Listen again in the future as the uh, Barclays head of global data centers explains SPACs. You can't miss that one. So Ertias, thanks, bud, for joining us. I appreciate it. 